Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do all libertarians smoke pot? Are we all peaceniks and hippies? I'll tell you who libertarians really are and why it matters. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And I normally tell you the libertarian perspective on the news of the week. And I'll throw out the, in a nutshell, in one sentence, basic libertarian principles. But I can't really get into the kind of depth and breadth of the liberty movement, of the the nuanced arguments of like practical economic arguments, moral arguments. I usually just have to throw out the big picture in a nutshell and talk about things in that context. So a lot of times, many times, I have gotten a request requests to do a show on libertarian principles, on libertarianism, answer questions, dispel myths. So I decided this week, for a couple of reasons, it made sense to do that show. One is that it's the this week marked the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta, the great document between John Lackland, King of England, and his barons and such that, according to the Wall Street Journal, the way they put it, established the rule of law. And I think people don't know what that really means. Rule of law means rule of law, not the rule of a ruler. So this set out terms where people could not be punished except for if they broke a law and it had to be within the parameters of that law that they uh, were put to jail, that the king could not just throw you into jail. And the rule of law is even bigger in that it should, it does apply, if you adhere to it, to the ruler himself so that no one is above the law. And that, that to me, is the precursor of the American experiment where the citizen is the sovereign and that uh, we get together and agree we give the power to the government. The government doesn't give the rights to us. So that was the significance of the Magna Carta, what the Wall Street Journal called 800 years of liberty. I don't know if I would go that far. I feel like liberty is an inherent condition that is taken away. But this definitely had a significant documented moment. Also, there was an anniversary this week that I haven't heard anybody put in this context, but it was the 200th anniversary of Waterloo. The Battle of Waterloo, at which England with Germany defeated Napoleon. And why I think that's an important moment in our kind of capitalist history is that Nathan Rothschild is, it's a legend, maybe it's a myth, I really don't know. But he is credited to have founded the the really massive Rothschild fortune on that day, that he had advanced warning that Napoleon lost 
People had thought that England had lost, so he bought up all these English bonds. And then when the news broke that England had won, the bonds he owned skyrocketed in value. Now, there's some people who say that could not possibly have happened, whatever. But if you think about a shadow government or the financial powers kind of uh, co-opting or taking over government or, uh, or the power of the people, that would have been the seminal moment. That Waterloo was when the power, the money, really started to get concentrated in one place, in the banking power. So I think of that as, a, as an important moment because so often people confuse capitalism and liberty with what's actually happening now, which is a bastardization of that cronyism, corporatism, behind the scenes, control of government. So there are a lot of nuances to this subject. And I, so I thought this would be a good time to talk about it. And I also seek out opportunities to talk about something, stuff that isn't depressing. When you talk about news, politics, current events, so often, because it's the stuff you're worried about, it tends to be quite negative stuff. Uh, and this week, it was particularly difficult to stay focused on on this more theoretical topic of libertarianism because of the shooting in Charleston in South Carolina where a 21-year-old guy, white guy, confessed to killing nine people at a black church in a Bible study Tuesday night. And it's been literally, except right now is the first time I looked at like foxnews.com and it wasn't the whole page. So for three or four days, it's been all you see and hear on the news or even read on the internet. All the big headlines are about this story. And I do, I, I, most of the time when something like that happens, that's what I'll talk about. I have a show once a week. I talk about the thing that is dominating the minds of the people. This time, for the first time, really, I'm deciding not to talk about that i'll give you some thoughts out of uh because it is a serious matter but i am going to return to my original subject and the reason i'm not going to talk about it at length there are a few reasons one is i find that something distasteful about giving people who commit atrocities like that so much airtime so much attention now i Whenever I read stories like this, I'm not 100% sure we we know the truth. They come out with the, the story, the narrative, right away before they could have possibly had any real investigation. And I, I, I so I don't, until you have an O.J. Simpson style televised trial where even if the guy got off or were guilty or whatever, you could assess the evidence yourself. I don't think we know the real story. And you have people like Brian Williams and Dan Rather who have lied to us in the context of the mainstream media. You just never know if maybe there's somebody behind it. Maybe this guy didn't act alone. I have no idea. But whoever they are, whoever is responsible for this, I don't like to give these kind of things uh, uh, airtime. Let them just take over. I also think that when you give crises like this, this kind of power, when you give them this kind of attention, you play right into the Rahm Emanuel doctrine of never letting a good crisis go to waste. And that sets up perverse incentives, they're called, where 
where it's actually in the interest of people who have a political agenda, whether it's gun control or encouraging uh, race tension as a distraction from real problems that we all share in the face of the, the powers that be. When you give that kind of power so that the media and all our minds and attention are focused on this subject, you actually give those with the agendas more of an incentive to uh, to not fix these problems. So it, it actually plays into their hands, and you can see it when... Uh, by the way it's treated in the media and and the way the government handles it. So like yesterday, we saw this guy, the suspect, who did confess in a bond hearing that was video linked with the victim's families who then were in a position where they had to deal with this guy and their grief. And they did, for the most part, uh, uh, um, forgave him and all that kind of stuff. But it was such an emotionally exploitive thing to do that I can't help but think that we're that kind of stuff is used to manipulate us and then uh, at the same time heighten the emotional atmosphere then they want us to address the real issues so what are what are they telling us the real issues are racial tension and also gun control maybe even psychological problems and in this extremely heightened emotional atmosphere we're supposed to address these very serious overarching issues that have historical significance will make an impact uh, and just rush into things. That's what Rahm Emanuel said. He said, you want to use crises to get things done you could not get done before, like gun control. But at the same time that it gives us this emotional charge, it also distracts us from more sober, uh, or I should say less emotionally charged subjects that are ripe for our attention for example, the Trade Promotion Authority that Boehner, the Republican House Speaker, is absolutely jumping through hoops to get Obama and his successor six years of basically dictatorial power over trade agreements. These trade agreements that are in the works aren't even trade agreements or they would be in Congress's purview. They are treaties that will create an economic a regime that stretches from Japan to Germany and includes us. And that is what's happening right now in Congress. And it is not on the news. I did a whole show on it. If you want my podcast, it's not on the news. And what you're getting uh, is, is a total distraction. It's a tragic situation, but I feel like for a lot of reasons, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to totally pivot towards that. I will talk about current events like these in the context of libertarian philosophy, principles, your questions, I've gotten a lot of posts and tweets and emails about uh, the principles of libertarianism, how they apply today from everything from the presidential election with Rand Paul to uh, misconceptions that you hear about libertarians. And I, and I want to also have, it's more fun when it's a live conversation, so give me a call, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And after the break, I'm going to give you, lay out the principles of libertarianism, and I'm also going to tell you about my own personal libertarian journey that started with basically being raised a Barry Goldwater conservative and ending up a Murray Rothbard anarcho-capitalist. So after the break, and you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. 
on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It is down to 80 degrees outside the studio, and there are severe weather alerts in some counties. So stay tuned to WSB and listen for the weather brought to you by Shoemate, the official air conditioning of summer. And boy, have we needed it. My topic today, I am the Libertarian on WSB, and I am talking about all things Libertarian. So I want you to give me a call. Let me know. Uh, what is your biggest problem with libertarians? What is it that you that makes you not a libertarian? And if you're a libertarian and you think that libertarians are misunderstood, tell me your biggest misunderstanding about libertarians. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And today I'm actually talking about Libertarianism. Normally I put the events of the week in the context of Libertarianism. And I will still do it. I'll talk about anything you want. Ask me anything you want. Tell me what you hate about Libertarians. Libertarians are dangerous. Uh, If you are a Libertarian, how you feel you are misunderstood 404-872-0750, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. But I'm going to walk you through what I consider to be the basics of libertarianism. And uh, I also want to tell you about my my journey from uh, kind of traditional conservatism to uh, anarcho-capitalism. I'll tell you how the, the spectrum kind of goes from uh, what our founders were, which really there were some who even could qualify as anarchists. I think Thomas Paine uh, was toyed with that idea of just having no central government at all. He had some funny ideas, but that was, uh, I thought that was a pretty good one. There, So the founders were what I think at the time was called classical liberals. The word liberal has been really bastardized it's been absorbed by the left to mean uh to focus on civil liberties when their actual main focus is redistribution of wealth which was absolutely not a feature of classical liberalism even in europe they still call a liberals if they call you a liberal they mean more like a libertarian no rules is how they think of it freedom liberty liberal but these guys, our founders, were uh, classical liberals, I would say. And then as as time passed, let's like fast forward way to Barry Goldwater in the 60s, who was what I call a traditional conservative. And conservative usually means uh, does not want change. So in Europe, a conservative, like in England, is somebody who likes the monarchy. But here, a conservative comes to mean more like people who don't want to change from our founding principles, which were these, uh, I'm going to call them libertarian principles, even though at the time they were called liberal. So then you have the traditional conservatives who really do believe in civil liberties, believe in the rights, believe in small government. And then you fast forward to today where there is a liberty movement. People are called libertarians. Uh, The Republican conservative establishment is now a neoconservative, which violates some of these classical liberal libertarian tenets. 
Let me tell you what they are. They, I've mentioned this before, and uh, I'll just give you a little more nuance. And as the show goes on, I'm going to read a lot of questions, posts, comments that I've gotten that's going to tease out some of the details of this. And then to also tell you why I went all the way to anarcho-capitalism, which is beyond what normal libertarians are. I actually think the modern state cannot be trusted at all. Uh, but the basic tenets, I've said this before, are three. Uh, libertarians believe in fiscal conservatism. And what I mean by that is small government or no government. So a libertarian can be a minarchist, which means minimal, archy, archy, like overarching power, minarchist, uh, which I think our founders were, or an anarchist, an anarcho-capitalist, as I am, which I think that capitalist society is self-ordering, and that as you transact, you're going to get the the kind of security and insurance and stuff that we look to government to get, that you actually don't need the modern state for that. But if you are a minarchist, a traditional type libertarian, fiscal conservatism is a basic tenet of that. And it's like what my father taught me, that government, especially the federal government, really only has a couple of legitimate functions. One is the court's dispute resolution uh, as per the courts, and the other is security, police, army, just physical security, that the only reason we have a federal government is to protect our persons and our property. That's it. That's what government is for. Fiscal conservatism means small government, not a lot of taxes. They don't spend a lot. The next element of it is, oh, and and just to make it clear what that fiscal conservatism eliminates everything that is not part of that like uh, uh, dispute resolution and protection, everything else that the government provides, if I am thinking of it, if I'm not missing something, is an insurance function, an insurance function. So social security is an annuity that you could buy from an insurance company. Medicaid, Medicare are insurance policies, health insurance Death benefits, like to widows and orphans, are, are life insurance policy. Everything is insurance. And then there's also education, public services, public goods, roads, education, stuff like that. Is also something a really libertarian person, I would say there's a lot of variation, but a real libertarian would not, uh, doesn't accept uh, the, this uh, public goods function. Next thing is civil liberties. As the great Murray Rothbard, Mr. Libertarian, says, always persuasion, never coercion. So if you don't believe in divorce, Catholic Church does not allow divorce. It allows annulment, which means the marriage never happened, but not just regular divorce, civil divorce like we have in civil society. You, If you wanted to legislate morality, and some countries do this, divorce is not allowed. You can, or, or maybe a woman can't divorce a husband, only a husband could divorce a woman. That's legislating morality. Same thing with drug use. Legislating so that people can't use drugs for their own recreation or certain kinds of drugs. They can use alcohol as a recreational drug, but not marijuana. Those are social moral issues that if you that a libertarian would not allow the government to use the force and the money that we give them to enforce. And then the last thing is called the non-aggression principle, which is often misunderstood as people hear it as the non-violence principle. It's not that. Libertarians are not pacifists at all. 
The non-aggression principle just means you cannot initiate violence. You can't start shooting at people until they're coming at you. And it can't be some theoretical, oh, eventually they would come at me. We have to have a preemptive war because I know that guy's up to no good. No, it's the physical world that we're talking about. Violence is a physical act. There needs to be a real imminent threat. No funny business with the words. Don't trust your politicians. If you knew what I knew, blah, blah, blah. You cannot start shooting at people unless they are ready to shoot at you. And that would basically never happen in this country because of our isolation from the power centers, Europe and other places like that. So that's what Washington was saying in his farewell address. Our first president said, we are in this unbelievably protected place. If we don't make alliances or enemies, we will be safe here and we won't ever need to get involved in foreign entanglements. And that's a very libertarian principle. So those are the three tenets of libertarianism. I'm going to take some calls. I'm going to go to Stephen in Duluth. Hi, Stephen. You're on with Monica. Oh, uh, hello, Monica. Good afternoon. Um, I just had a quick question, and you off, uh, you mentioned a little bit of it uh, uh, earlier in your introduction, just regarding divorce, for example. What I've never understood about libertarianism is uh, it's questioning regarding the lack of authority at all that the government can use in, as you say, legislating morality. Um, there's a, uh, I'm a tremendous, huge fan of uh, Mark Levin. I've read all of his books. Among other things, he writes of the fact of having a civil society, and in a civil society, having a rule of law. How is it, as a libertarian, that you can have, on the one hand, a rule of law, uh, a set of codes that we, the people, will abide by, but yet at the same time say that the government itself, we, the people, can't legislate, as you say, morality. I don't see how you could, you know, the Supreme Court's going to be voting on gay marriage probably by the end of this week. And unfortunately, I think I know uh, what's going to happen with it. And a libertarian would say, well, you know, that's, you know, if you believe in traditional marriage, that's fine. But I don't certainly want to support an amendment or a law that promotes just traditional marriage. Well, here's let me tell you, Steve, I'm going to take that that example. That example is uh, the marriage license. My father never even heard. He died 10 years ago. Gay marriage was not even an expression then. He would have totally objected to it, even though he was basically a libertarian. He just never would have been able to get his mind around that. However... When I got married 15 years ago, his brother was a Catholic priest, my father's brother, and he married us. And he, my father said to both of us, please don't get a marriage license. You should not validate the claim the state makes that they can control who you marry. They should have no business over that. And because we allow the state to govern those things, we make the door open so that they can decide one way or another. So that's one one way to look at that. Another way to look at that is you can some libertarians apply their libertarian principles to the federal government. So the 10th amendment requires that the police powers it's called. It's not just policing though. It's health, education, general or like individual welfare as opposed to like national welfare, national defense. All that stuff is supposed to be at the state level so that you have some 
control over it. And as you point out that we have these norms of behavior, these mores of behavior, these are cultural factors. So when you have the government intentionally legislating, like they call it multiculturalism, but it's really not multiculturalism. What it is is they want all everyone to have the exact same rules everywhere, and they want it to be legislated so people can't carve out their own little communities. And people do like to have their cultural values, their cultural norms in their communities when they're raising their children. So you can do that if you have the autonomy to make your own local laws. It's called the principle of subsidiarity in Catholicism. If you don't have zoning laws that keep you apart or drag you together, if you can actually uh, make your own little communities, people do naturally gravitate, gravitate towards that. So it's really a question of what people actually do which is a very libertarian study. It's called praxeology. It's a, a, a word I first read in Ludwig von Mises' Human Action. And it's about what people really do, not what they should do, or uh, but how do people really act? And I do think they really act that way. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK after the break. Uh, I'm going to talk to Alan, who says libertarians don't have a chance. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. There are scattered storms and severe weather in the area, so stay tuned to WSB Weekend Weather brought to you by Shoemate, the official air conditioning of summer. I'm going straight to Alan in Atlanta. Alan, you're on with Monica. Hi there, Monica. Uh, I really love your show, and I real good subject. You know, in a perfect world, you'd make a great president. Herman Cain would make a great vice president, and, and uh, Clark Howard would make a good sec- uh, uh, Treasury. GAO uh, in, part, in charge of the economy. But we do not live in a perfect world, and I hate to say this, your ideas are more like a utopian outcome for, for the planet. I mean... Alan, I would say the notion of self-limiting government is a utopian fantasy. The idea that writing down our rights on the piece on a piece of paper will keep people with all the money and all the guns from using our rights against us for the privilege of the few. That's the utopian fantasy. But what is what I mean, I hate to say this, but you're your own worst enemy. You hate intrusion into people's lives. Yet you work for the news agency, which by def- definition is the largest group of snoops in the world. You have the Pavarotti, if uh, Pavarotti, if but I don't do that. I'm an individual, know, Alan. But your colleagues do. And what it is, if you decide to run for president, would you not be scared of the press corps digging up things on you? I'm more worried about what I dig up. I'm more worried about the. Uh about coming up with stuff that the powers that be don't like. And if I were to run for, I wouldn't ever run for president because I think it's inherently corrupt. The first Tuesday you show up, you got to sign off on the kill list. It'll save your soul to lose a presidential election. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done.